the NBA has approved the use of coaches' challenges in the next season, the 2019-2020 season. And I got to be honest, I don't know how to feel about it. Or I shouldn't say that. I feel I have I have different reactions. So with let me just talk baseball for a second. Baseball is a sport that competes with nothing when it comes on. It comes on in April. That's when opening day is. And the World Series is in October. So from March through, I mean not March, from April through October, it's about, you know, baseball, pretty much. Or once the NFL starts in September. But baseball doesn't have to compete with anything. It, all it has is the WNBA. And maybe the Olympics every four years. But here's my issue. In baseball, it's painfully slow. That's why I can't watch it. But with the NBA choosing to do this, I kind of like it. Yes, it slows the game down a little bit. But I will say this about replays. I don't like that it's janky. I look at it and it's like, okay. You know, they they stop to look at something and they pull out. They li- if you ever if you've ever seen an NBA game, you've probably seen it it happens like once a game, once or twice a game maybe. But what happens is there's a questionable play and they're not sure what to call. So the referee goes over to the the, the ref- two referees go over to the sideline. And two people behind the stats table pulls out a television for the refs to look at. It's really janky and it's it's really kind of funny. Um, but it doesn't take too much time usually. So this article from uh, Tim Bontemps from ESPN. Here, here's here's what it says. Uh, and this is this was in Vegas because what happens is right now it's the uh, the summer league, and in the summer league what happens is you have a situation where you have the owners meeting with the league and you know they're discussing new ideas, you know how can we improve next season, what worked, what didn't, and they talked about this. They talk about this during you know the summer league because you can't really you can't implement a change. During the middle of a season. All right, so so here it is. At its annual meeting here during NBA Summer League, the league's board of governors, which they, they're scared to say owners, uh, approved a pair of changes for next season. The use of a coach's challenge and the league's replay center initiating replay proceedings for certain types of plays. The NBA's competition committee proposed both changes and they earned unanimous support from the league's 30 teams. The Coaches Challenge, which has been used in the NBA's G League for each of the past two seasons, has been in place for this year's version of the Summer League, will be used next season by the NBA on a one-year trial basis. So So here it is, basically. Teams can use one challenge per game, regardless of whether it is successful, and it can be utilized to a question a variety of instances, including a, ca- a called personal foul on the coach's own team, an out-of-bounds call, goaltending, or basket interference. The challenge can be used at any point during the game. However, in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime, any out-of-bounds, goaltending, or basket interference calls will be automatically triggered for review and are not challengeable. Now see, here's here's where I... T- here's the problem. Here's here's where I think things happen. Most plays, most games, I should say, are looked at in terms of, you know, they, they always have the last, the, the final two-minute report of NBA games, which is kind of where, you know, games are, are seen as being won or lost. And so you have that kind of situation where... You have these challenges, 
but you can't challenge in the last two minutes, which is usually the most important two minutes. And you know, every every play matters. But it's the last two minutes where usually there's a controversial call and nothing can be done about it. I mean, if you've you've if you've watched these playoffs for like the past few years in the finals, there's always been a controversial play. I remember that play, I think it was last year. In the uh, in the 2018, the 2017, 2018 season, it was where LeBron and KD. It was a, it was a Charger block, and it was a very crucial call. And they spent like ten minutes on it, and you know it was just a very critical play. And I don't remember when exactly that play was, but it was huge, and it's you know. A charge or a block, it's it's a bang-bang play. If you've ever been to an NBA game, you see how hard the refs have it because these players are huge and they're very, very skilled and they're very talented and they're very athletic and they move very, very quickly. So it can look like a charge and if you don't know what a charge is, a charge is when a defensive player pretty much gets in the way um, of an offensive player and, you know, it's, it's unfair. A, so that, that would be, or no, that'd be a blocking foul. A charger foul would be the opposite where an offensive player pretty much runs over a defensive player. And these, these, these calls are very hard to make. You just, you just don't know how to do it. But, you know, I like, I like the idea. Will the game be longer? A little bit. But here's my thing about replay. You have replay to get things right. That's that's what I love about replay. You know, people kind of complain where it's about, you know, it can change outcomes of the game. And yes, yes it can. But here's... The problem, you have these fantastic athletes that are very gifted and they're just, you know, they don't know, you know, they don't know what to call. So you have these bang bang plays and you have, you also have human error. These refs are human. And uh, in the NBA, you know, you have the refs, they're looking in at the play on the TV and they put on these headsets where they're communicating with these these uh, replay officials in Secaucus, New Jersey. And they're human over there. So they're all looking at the play and humans make mistakes. I don't care what it is. They make mistakes. We are imperfect beings. We're flawed. And at some point we're going to make a mistake. And sometimes mistakes can cause you know, can change legacies. So you have these very difficult plays, but here's my thing with replay. You've got to get it right. Um, but it's it's also very hard. And I, I also add this to replay. If you aren't sure with replay, go with the original call. That's what I would say. Because sometimes sometimes replay doesn't help. It's just you look at it and you're you're staring at it for like minutes. And you know, you see things, you see one thing that's like, oh, you know, for like the NFL, oh it's a catch. Oh, it's not a catch, you know, in past seasons and all of that. But, you know, it's just very, very difficult to get to get these things right sometimes. So I love replay. And I think it's crucial. But, you know, players back players back in the day, they didn't have replay. It was just based off the eyes of the ref. And, you know, you couldn't go back and look at it. So now we have technology where we can look at things and we can say, okay, what happened? And if we look at these things... And we, you just, to me, you have to get it right. 
you it's imperative that you get it right because if you're not going to get it right i think you got you just got to get rid of replay and just make it based off the eyeballs of the ref of the referees yes it's harsh but you know the only the only other solution would be this fire all the refs fire everyone in, in that has to do with replays and you get robots make robots to replace the officials and you program them and you will get pretty much a consistent call every single time and it won't be it, there will be no bias um, or anything like that but that's the that's the only way to get rid of human error and it's it's just it's very difficult but the article continues uh, to challenge a play a team must have a timeout and call after the play and then its coach must twirl his finger toward the referees to signal for the challenge if a team doesn't have a timeout and attempts to challenge a play it'll be charged a technical foul and no challenge will occur there must be clear and conclusive visual evidence to overturn a call. Now, that's that's where it's hard. That's where it's, you know, it's very hard because most of these calls, you know, in like the last two minutes, they are, I'm telling you, well, just not the last two minutes, but overall, they're just, Bang bang plays. They're bang bang plays, and you have to look at it. And many times, it's not irrefutable evidence. There are times where it's just you know you can you can go either way. And remember, the only thing that you can challenge is a coach can challenge is a called personal foul on the coach's own team, an out of balance call. Or goaltending or basket interference. So these, so these play, so these right here, these are these are pretty easy to get right. Whether someone is out of bounds, um, you can, you know, if something is a foul, and goaltending or basket interference. Goaltending and basket interference, it's a little bit harder, but it's pretty good. Um, but it's good that they didn't have the opportunity to challenge, you know, charges and blocks. Because those are very, very hard to do. In most, in my opinion, in most scenarios, you can make a case for either one. When it comes to charges and blocks. But I I just, I don't know. I don't know. What do we, I don't know what the NBA is going to do. I'm excited to see how it works. I haven't watched any of the Summer League because I don't care about the Summer League. Um, In case you guys don't remember, Lonzo Ball was the MVP the year he got drafted. So, you know, we now see where he is. So I, I really don't care about Summer League. You saw that Zion got hurt. It's it's just a mess. And I, I really don't care about Zion at all. You know, he, he's going to fill seats, but I don't think he's going to be a huge game changer because you're going to be playing with grown men. You're just not going to be dunking on everybody. That's just not going to happen. You know, when you're, the thing about Zion Williamson, you know, he's talented. I'm not saying he's not, but you know, you're, when you're in college, you're going against dudes who, you know, they're going to go on to be engineers, uh, technicians, um, and pretty much so many other occupations that does not involve the NBA. In the NBA, you're going against the best in the world or the, the, the suggested best in the world. It's very difficult. You know, Zion, he's he's just he's not gonna look as fantastic. And you have to remember he got hurt where his shoe exploded. And you know, he just hurt his knee here in Summer League, and so you don't know what Zion you're gonna get. He's still gonna be able to play, he's still gonna be able to jump. But overall, man, I just I don't know. I don't I don't really know what to expect of him. Could he get 
Could he average a double-double right now? I say yes. Just just off my gut reaction. That's This is the first time I asked myself that. And I would say yes. He could get you a double-double. Could he lead a team to a win? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's a guy who can, you know, he could... He could, what he could do, he could really help rally the crowd. I think that's what he could do. And I think that's a role that he should embrace for, you know, the early part of his career as he owns his skills. So, you know, I hope that, I hope that works out for him. But, you know, Summer League, as I said, I'm telling you, I really don't care. Summer League, it's, 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 I hate, I hate saying it's a joke. But, you know, you know if these guys can play or not. Usually, you know, you know. Often, you know, there are busts. And sometimes people people do make mistakes and people, you know, they're like, doggone it, we, you know, we whiffed on this one. But overall, if you, if you draft them, you should know, you should have done your homework. You should have done your homework. Cause you know you it's it's you know it's just amazing every time I watch the draft. You sit there, and you know you're just looking at these these kids, and it's like they are literally about to become millionaires in a matter of seconds. Your their their lives are instantly changed, and when you're an NBA team, and you're about to invest millions of dollars, and and you know hundreds of hours. And so many resources into this individual. You need to do your homework. You have to know if this person can play. Is this person worth the money? Is this person worth a certain pick? There are certain players that I look at and I'm just like, you know, I wouldn't have drafted him there. My beef with Lonzo. I Lonzo is a bust. I say he's a bust because he was the second pick in the draft. The entire 2017 draft was really focused on him, LeVar Ball, and Big Baller Brett. And Lonzo has done not too much, let's just say that. He's only played 99 games uh, in his, you know, in the NBA. He still has yet to play a full season. And I mean, right now, you're young. If there's any, If anything, you should be saving your injuries for the end of your career. But... You know, Lonzo was drafted number two. And you come along and you you do nothing. That's why I consider him a, a bust. If Lonzo was drafted, you know, teens, 20s, I'd be fine with his performance. My issue with Lonzo is how high he was drafted, how much he was hyped up, and how much of an idiot Magic Johnson was to draft him at number two. When I was praying... I just said, please don't draft Lonzo at number two. You can draft him if you want. Don't take him as a high pick. He's a point guard that can't shoot. If you can't shoot, if you're a point guard and you're going to be in the West, you have to shoot. You have to be able to shoot. And that was my problem with Lonzo. You got a, you got a strange stroke, which, you know, it, it's worked for you, but you haven't played in the NBA. And it's, it's just it's just an absolute mess. It's an absolute mess. So, you know, with, you know, with players and things like that, I'm not big on training camp, preseason. I'm not big on any of that. You, you have you have all these stats. You have all these this analytical, these analytical departments. You have so many resources. If it takes you this many games to figure out whether they can play or not, I question your skills. And I question your ability to see talent. I said this in one of my earlier podcast episodes concerning the NFL, about the preseason, where Roger Goodell, you know, they were talking about shortening this, the preseason. You don't need, the, the in the NFL, they have four preseason games. You don't need four preseason games to figure out if you can play. The coach knows who can play. If you're if you're if you're just a fan, if you're just if you are a 
kind of a regular fan, and you, you've watched football long enough, you can look at people and you can tell if they can play. I've never played football in my life. And I, I will never play football in my life. But I've watched enough football, and I know enough football players, and I, and I, and I have a well enough understanding of the game. I'm no expert by any means. But I can, there's the eyeball test where you can just see, okay, that guy can play, that guy cannot. So with all this, you know, preseason training camp, to me it's a joke. It's just, it's just for money. It's just for money. There's no other reason. You know, you know if they can play. Cause what, let, let's, let's just, let's just think logically here. Let's say you own a business. And you hire someone. And you give them millions of dollars to do a job. And then once, once they've already signed the contract, you look at them after they, after they sign the contract and after this money is already guaranteed, you put me through a trial test to see if I can do the job. From a, from a, from a financial standpoint, from a business standpoint, that makes no sense because I've already gotten the money. Let's say I am just absolute trash, just absolute garbage. I am dismal. I am abysmal at the job that I'm supposed to be doing. It's too late. I've, I've already signed the contract. You can, you can cut, you can get rid of me today. You owe me millions. These, these owners and these GMs, I don't think they're idiots. They've worked, they've worked hard to get to where they are. So that's why I look at it and I'm just, I think it's a joke. So, you know, I, I, Overall, that was a, that was quite a tangent. But overall, I'm really excited to see this new rule, these these new rules implemented. Um, I don't think it's going to change the game too much. I really don't. But you know, it's hard to be certain. It's hard to be certain. Now, here's a topic that really just. I, this really made me think. This really made me think. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but um, I really encourage you to look up the story, and I just want you to read the story. There was a, it, it, this happened on Fourth of July. Pretty much what happened. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the article to you afterwards. There was there was a man who had his son with him, and this was in San Francisco. And they came out of their apartment building and pretty much uh, there was the man and his son. They walked out and there was another man standing outside of the apartment building, kind of just waiting there, just standing there. And so when the door opened, you know, for for the dad and his son to leave. The guy who was just standing there, he grabs the door and he just goes in. And the dad stops the man and says, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? And the guy just says, oh, you know, I'm here. I'm waiting for my friend and all of that. So now I'm going to go through the article. Okay. And just this is from the Washington Post. Okay. The encounter was broadcast. And this is, this is on the Washington Post by Eli Rosenberg. The encounter was broadcast in a video posted to Facebook on the 4th of July. A white man faced the person with the camera, a black man, asking him to step out of the San Francisco building where the white man lived, or to call the person who invited him there. After the man refused, the white man, later identified as Christopher Cucker, I think that's how you pronounce it, a manager at YouTube called the police. You're just going to be the next person on TV. Wesley Michael, the man taking the video, told Cucker he was right. After Michael posted the video on Facebook, so this 4th of July 2019, he wrote, the video took off. 
fueled by algorithms on social media that often prioritize outrageous and inflammatory content, leaving a trail of angry conversations in their wake. Within days, the view the video was viewed millions of times, getting a boost after it was posted on the Twitter page of filmmaker Tariq Nasheed. Then it was picked up by tabloid media outlets such as New York Daily News and the Daily Mail. To many, the video was another entry in the public ledger of black people confronted while doing seemingly nothing. Quotidian things. I think that's how you pronounce that word. I'm not familiar with that word. The trend that gave rise last year to the hashtag living while black. Another anti-black racist in the hashtag Bay Area was filmed while he made a fraudulent 911 call on an innocent black man who was standing outside of a building waiting on his friend to come down, Nasheed wrote. The anti-black racist's name is allegedly Christopher Cucker, and he works for at YouTube. A stream of videos has been posted to social media and then covered by the, by the media showing black people harassed, threatened with calls to the police, or insulted while doing everyday things such as swimming, barbecuing, napping, gardening, and meeting at Starbucks. But the man who confronted another in this video came forward Tuesday to describe the confrontation from his perspective. Cucker said he lives in, he lives in the building and saw Michael enter it without using the call box. I did what came naturally and asked where he was going, he wrote in a post he published on the site Media. I want to be clear on this point. This is something I do regularly, regardless of who the other person is. Cucker said that Michael was a friend of a resident's guest in the building. He said his, his actions were also informed by a tragic family history. His father, Peter, was murdered in 2012 after confronting a mentally ill man who had shown up on his driveway in Berkeley, California. For my child's safety, my safety, and that of the building, I felt it was necessary to get help in the situation, Cucker wrote. Furthermore, I've encountered trespassers in my building and we've been robbed several times. This is not uncommon in San Francisco, and the bad actors are all different colors. But he said that Michael was reacting based on his history as well. Unfortunately, there is a terrible pattern of people calling the authorities regarding people of color for no other reason than their race, he wrote. The last thing I ever intended was to echo that history, and I'm sorry my actions caused Wesley to feel unfairly targeted due to his race. Michael did not respond to messages left on a phone number lift listed for him in public records or his Facebook page. Police said officers responded to Cucker's call, but left the scene after they found that no crime had been committed. Cucker's son had begged him during the video to let Michael be. I agree with him, Daddy. Please go. I don't like this, he said. Look what you've gotten us into. Let's go. So, that's really something. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I looked at it from all perspectives. So I looked at it from Christopher's from Michael's and the child's. Let's start with let's start with Michael's. Okay. I'm a black guy myself. So I'm standing there outside the building and I'm, you know, I'm waiting for my friend to come down. And and let me just clarify. In another article on CNN covering the same thing, the friend later did come down. And he confirmed that he was Michael's friend. Okay? So According to CNN, that's what that's what happened afterwards. And but also, let me get before I get into the perspectives. Here's what I want to say about video. The hard thing about recording is there is one thing. There is some transparency. What happens is you see the person who's being filmed, not the one who's doing the filming. Also. You don't know what ha what happened before the red button is pushed, and you don't know what happened after the red button is pushed. And that is the difficult part of it. That's that's what's that's what's so hard about it. But here's here's anyway, here are the perspectives. So Michael, he's out there, he's just standing there minding his own business, waiting for his friend to come down. 
And, uh, you know, he's just there standing in front of the building. And, uh, this, you know, these two people, they walk out, a dad and his son, and I see the door opens. And I, and I grab the door so I can go in so I don't have to stand outside. And the person stops me and says, okay, he asked me, who are you? Now, I've lived, I've lived for the, for the past two years, for my freshman and sophomore year, I lived in a, uh, I lived on campus in the dorms. And what happens there is you're not supposed to let anyone in. You, you really, the rule is don't hold the door for anyone. That's the rule. But then you have common courtesy where people, you know, they see someone coming in or, you know, going out and they hold the door. That's just something you naturally do. And usually after a while, you know, you see people, you know, you kind of get familiar of who lives there and who doesn't. You just, just after living in a certain area and having a certain routine, you see certain people over and over and you kind of begin to make the connection that, oh, this person probably lives here because I see them all the time at the same time. And so I'm just going to let them in. Um, but the rule in most places is to not let anyone in, to not hold the door for anyone. Okay. So that's, so that's, you know, Michael's perspective and he's, you know, he, I'm being asked these questions, you know, who are you and where are you going? And I say, oh, my friend lives in this building. I'm just, I'm going up to go see him. And, you know, I, I stand there and he's, you know. Then the person who asked me these questions. Asked me, you know, pretty much begins to call the police. And I say, okay, this escalated kind of quickly. Now. Here's the thing that bothers me about 911. At a very early age, at a very early age, 911 is for emergencies. That you learn that at a very young age. I learned that I don't know, first grade. First grade you learn that 911 is meant for emergencies. And so, you know, when I see these, when I see incidents, regardless of race, when I, when I hear people say, oh, you know, I called 911, it's like, okay, 911, it's meant for emergencies. Is someone dying? Is someone bleeding? Is someone, is someone's life in danger? Is something, is someone about to get hurt? And, you know, or, you know, pretty much what happened. So, you know, it's, it's just, it just kind of irritates me when I, when I see people, you know, calling 911. I remember that, I want to say that lady Becky, where she called 911 on the guy, on the, like the black kid who was like selling waters. I just thought that was the biggest joke. Not because of that, but it's because it's like lady, there are really emergencies happening around you. But you decide to take up some of the, to take up some of the police's resources, and you decide to call nine one one for a non emergency. That's what really irritates me. Now I'm going to go to Christopher's perspective. I, I and my son, you know it's Fourth of July. You know we're doing our thing. We're going to go have some fun on on this holiday. You know I've got the day off. I work at a nice company. You too. And so, you know, you're like, son, let's go get some ice cream. And I don't know if they were going to get ice cream. I don't know what they were going to do. I'm just, I'm putting myself in Christopher's head. Okay, son, let's go get some ice cream. All right, dad, let's go. So we go. We walk out, we walk outside. And there's a guy standing in front of my apartment building, just standing there. And right when I go in, I see him go behind me to get the door. And I'm like, okay, wait. Um, first of all, that's not really protocol. Because if you live here, you're supposed to use the call box and all of that. And, you know, you're supposed to have a key and all of this stuff. And so I see that that is broken. And I'm like, um, hold it. Like, who are you? 
And based on, according to Christopher, this place has been, uh, there's been trespassers and, you know, the place has gotten robbed multiple times. And, you know, honestly, if I'm Christopher, I would, if that were the case, I'd probably move somewhere else or try my best to move somewhere else. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know his financial situation. I don't know. But, you know, the place I live in, it's been hit a few times with, you know, robbery and theft and all of that. And so I see this guy and I'm like, okay, does he look familiar? No. Okay. Did he follow protocol? No. And so I live in this building and I look at him and I'm like, mm. no. And here's, and here's the thing. Here's what, here's where I think it's tough because you have these people who sometimes they want to do the right thing, but they don't want to stereotype. And I bet, I, I, I'm, I don't really bet, but I'm pretty confident that this man, when he saw, when he saw Michael, when Christopher saw Michael, he thought for a second, mm, I'm white. He's black. What would it look like if I call the police on him? He, pro- he probably thought this through. And then I have my son. He's coming up to me saying, Dad, just leave it alone. Like, I believe him. You know, let's just go. Let's not get involved. You know, leave him. You know, let's just leave him alone. And so I'm thinking, okay, so you have all this identity politics. Identity politics is already a big thing going on. Okay, and so I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? Because all because you have to think you just have this split second before you let the guy go in. Once he's inside the building, he has access to people's, you know, people's property where people live. He has access to people. And so you have to make a split second decision. So I believe in Christopher's head, he was looking at him and said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to risk it. Let me call the police. Because I, you know, because I asked him and, you know, he's not really doing what he's supposed to be doing according to the rules of the building where I live. In most buildings, this that's the rule, you know, in, in terms of apartments where, you know, if you have a, if you have a, how would I put it? If I live in a building, they pretty, they pretty much tell you, okay, you know, when you you see those signs, see something, say something. That's what went through Christopher's head. I see something that it's not really supposed to be happening. So I'm going to say something, which is calling the police. Now, let's look at it from the son's perspective. I don't know his name. I don't know. I don't remember if it was in my article. Let's call him Chris Jr. I'm sitting on the couch my dad taps me on the shoulder and he's like, hey, son, you want to go get some ice cream? You know, it's kind of hot out. And I'm like, yeah, sure, dad. We go outside. And, you know, you know, I go out first. And then my dad's behind me. And, I, you know, I see a guy just standing there in front of the building. I don't really care about him. And I keep walking. And then I hear my dad say, hey, who are you? I turn around and I see my dad talking to a stranger. And you know, I don't I don't know how old this this child was. Um, but it's certainly possible that he that what went through his mind was like, oh, you know, black and white, it's just not a really good look. And so I go to my dad and I say, Dad, let's just go. Let's go, you know, let's go get the ice cream. Let's leave him alone. This isn't our business. You know, I believe him and all of that. But and also, let me, actually, let me go back to Christopher, Christopher Sr. here. My dad was taken from me because of a quote unquote trespasser just a few years ago. So I'm still hurting from that. And you, you know, that's something you never get over. You know, life goes on, but it's like, my dad should still be here, but he's not here because some mental invalid took his life and was doing something that he wasn't supposed to be doing. 
And so, you know, I look at it and it's like, okay, if I'm Chris Sr., if I'm Christopher Cucker, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, did, okay, if I were in the shoes, would I have done the same thing? In that split second, yes, I would have done the exact same thing. If I were, if I was Michael, what would I have done? I probably would have done, I don't like recording people. But if someone's calling the police on me and I, I believe I'm not doing anything, I'm going to record. So I believe he did the right thing. And, you know, it's just, it's just so hard. It's so difficult because I look at these things. And when I first described this to you, I didn't, I didn't mention race. I just said it was, it was a guy with his son and they walked out and they saw another guy and he was going in. And I, my question to you is this. Be objective here. Be objective here. If you were Chris Cucker, what would you have done? If you were Michael, what would you have done? And I, you know, I just, I would like to know what you guys think. Because I gotta be honest. I believe, if I'm Chris, I believe I'm doing the right thing. Because here's the thing. I know I mentioned that 911 thing earlier, but obviously my building has poor security. If this keeps, if this problem keeps on happening, obviously something is wrong in terms of how secure the premises is. So I say, okay, that's not, this isn't working. So I see a guy and I, I'm going to call 911. I have my son there. You know, I have some neighbors that I probably know over the years. There's property in there, you know. It's just, you know, it's happened before where, you know, things have been stolen. So I believe Chris did the right thing. And it's unfortunate that Michael was black. It really, it, it, this is just one of those situations where it's a bad look. But I honestly believe I would do the exact same thing. And in my, I'm looking at it as a black guy. If I were a, if I were Chris, as a white guy, and I see a black guy sitting outside of my building, and as I leave, he's going in behind me, what would I do? I have to be honest, I would think for a quick second, like, man, do I want to stereotype this guy? I don't have, I don't have much time. I probably have maybe, maybe three seconds to decide what I'm going to do. I, cause, because obviously I see him, and let's be real, let's just go through the situation. I come outside of the building. I see him. I see, I see Michael. I could either say something or say nothing. Those are the options. There's only, there's only two. And you don't have much time. And you're trying to, you're trying to protect your son. You're trying to protect your property. I believe Chris did the right thing. I have no problem with this. I have no problem with this. And I, you know, I got to be honest. If, let's say, let's say, let's say it were a white guy that were just standing outside the building. Would I have done the same thing? Yes, but my thought process would not be the same. I wouldn't think about, you know, oh, racial profiling. I wouldn't think about that. But I think now, as a society, we look at things and it's like, oh my God. If I do this, am I stereotyping? You know, what am I doing? I'm trying to keep people safe. If You know, there's a general rule in a neighborhood where if you see something, you're supposed to say something. And it's like, okay, what if something happens and I saw something, but, you know, I didn't say anything. And now something bad happened. You know, I'm, you know, I'm in trouble and, you know, something bad happened because of me that I could have easily prevented if I had just acted correctly. It's a very difficult situation. And, you know, 
I under I see Chris's side where you know you you defend yourself. It's like, bro, I'm just I'm just trying to go see my friend up here. And you know, most people, if there's a building, most people, if there's a building that they're trying to get into, and you know they can't get in by themselves, and there's a way for them to get in when someone just walks out. That they're usually just you know you're just gonna go and get the door so you can go inside. If you have a choice of either being inside or outside, in terms of the hot sun, because remember this is this is Fourth of July. It's you know pretty warm. You know it, it's it's you know you'd rather be inside than outside. So I see his point. Was should he have done it? No. He should not have gone into a building. He and here's the thing: he might do that all the time. He might he might do that all the time. And it's it's just it's just it was just this one time where it's like, okay, no man, I do this, you know, I do this all the time, and I don't have to answer to you, because one one you're not the police, and you know, two you 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 have no authority over me. You have no authority over me. You're just, you're a dude, you're a Joe Blow like I'm a Joe Blow. Okay, we're, we're equals right now. We're just, we're just two dudes. So it's, it's just very, it's just very interesting. And I just, I don't know. I don't know what, what I would, what, I don't think any, anyone was in the wrong here. This is just a bad it, it it was just a bad look. It was just a bad situation, visually. But I believe all parties acted pretty much. They you know with the with the timing that they had, I think they acted appropriately. You know, it's not like you know. Here's the thing, from what I from what I can tell, Chris didn't try to get in the way of the guy physically. He just said, okay, you know, who are you and all of that. And, you know, he kind of didn't let him inside by just keeping him engaged in conversation. But it's it's very difficult. And if people, you know, people may call Chris racist. I don't call, I want to call him racist. You have, you live there. You're trying to protect your property. You're trying to protect your son. He may have a wife. That's inside. It's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you know, dog, I don't know you. I've never, I've never seen you before. And I live in a place where it's often where we, you know, we've had theft be a problem. And my dad was taken from me because he was trust my, because a mentally disabled dude was trespassing. I believe I I I personally applaud Chris's actions. I also applaud Michael's. I believe he could he should not have gone inside, but I overall I applaud him. I applaud him. And it's it's just it's just hard, man. And I think, you know, with the son as I said, we'll call him Chris Jr., you know, he's looking up at his dad, he's like, Man, you know what you know, Dad, why did you do that? And I believe what Chris did, he, wherever they went, he sat down and he talked about it. He was like, son, this is why I did that. That's probably, that might, that might be why. And I'm going to be honest. If I had a son who asked me that question, be like, Dad, why did you call, why did you do that? I would explain to him, you know, to the best of my ability. That that's what I would do, and it's you know this is this is just a hard situation, man. It really is, and you know I I don't think Chris Christopher will lose his job. I I just don't think that's gonna happen. If he did, that would absolutely infuriate me, and I, but I I just I don't think that's gonna happen. Because, you know, pretty much nothing happened. It was just a guy. Pretty much it was just a guy just. He did what he was supposed. Christopher did what he was supposed to do. 
Seriously, like guys, take away race. Take away race, take away gender. Let's let's just let's I'm gonna go over the situation again. Person A has person person A and person B walk out of the building. Walk out of walk out of their residence. Person A sees person C and he does not recognize person C. Person C is just standing in front of the residence of person A and person C and person I mean person B and person C just walks inside. Person A stops person C and says, Who are you? What are you doing? That that's appropriate action. That's appropriate action. I would I would have done the exact same thing. And I, I must admit, I have to apl- I, I applaud Chris because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you just think, as a white guy, I'm here, I see a black guy. Okay, what do I do? Do I want to risk losing my job? Do, could, I, could I just escalate something? I could very easily just take me and my son and we can go do whatever we're going to do. I could do that. I could very easily do that. And there are, I believe many people would do that. They would just be like, you know what? None of my business. Christopher did exactly what he was supposed to do. Don't call this man a racist. Don't do that. He was just he was just a guy protecting his domain. I I you know if 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 you have a problem with that if you have a problem with someone making having to make a split second decision to defend themselves and their property against a complete stranger then I'm not really sure what to say to you what would you have done if you were Chris